Hello, my friends. Welcome back to Detox Podcast. I am Denise Walker, your host. If you're new here, welcome. Detox Podcast is a deep dive into my poetry collections, Pick Your Poison, on addiction and recovery. Every episode, I dissect one of my poems. I go into it to describe my emotions, my experiences, and I present it to you in this way in order to create a place of solace, understanding, and relatability. Let's dive in. Hello, how are you? Welcome to Detox Podcast episode 2.11, I believe. This one is called Us. It's another little short four-line poem. And before I get into it, I would love to tell you about Club Steady. Club Steady is a addiction recovery, uh, self-recovery, harm reduction sharing circle. Uh, We're not mental health professionals, we're not addiction specialists, but we are peers in the community who have experience with addiction in all sorts of different forms. And this is a virtual slash in-person, maybe in the future, meetup. First Sunday of every month at 1 p.m. Mountain Time. The first one is this weekend, June 6, 2021. It's hosted by myself and my business partner, Tandrine Hoffman. Uh, as you folks know, my biggest struggle is was alcohol. I should say was, um, because I believe that we do recover and we're not lifelong addicts or alcoholics or junkies or users or whatever terminology is out there, right? I believe that that there's another side to this. There, it's not just forever. Um, speaking of that, I was listening to a podcast uh, called, I want to say Refestivalizing. Refestivalizing. Um, I'll link it in the show notes. Uh, they were, in, they were uh, interviewing people on Clubhouse. I'm not sure if you've heard of Clubhouse, but it's like an audio platform where uh, people can have different rooms where they talk about different topics and they can invite different people up onto the stage to converse. And they talked about addiction. Alex uh, Ebert, lead man from Edward Sharp and the Magnetic Zeros, was one of the speakers. And I've been listening to a lot of his stuff in different ways because they're talking about uh, the narcissism of spirituality specifically in this podcast. And, oh boy, he mentioned something. It was, they were talking about how we all have this need to be a hero. And we need something in our lives to uh, uh, lion ourselves against. To, to become victorious against, to rally against. Um, he, he mentioned activists if there were, and, and progressives. If there was nothing to progress against, progressives would not be progressive. There needs to be the opposite. There needs to be the uh, counter-narrative. There needs to be that thing that we rally against in order to overcome. And this was spoken about in the context of narcissism, but he he and in spirituality and this need to always be uh, self improving, and making it uh, this this big uh, this big 
to do essentially about uh, sort of look at me and look at me overcoming this challenge in my life. And uh, he's a white male. And so he was speaking in terms of addiction and he used to be addicted to heroin. He tells a story where he was 19 years old and he had this choice in front of him. He, he thought to himself, he was either going to become a monk or a heroin addict. And he he says he decided to become a heroin addict. And when he says decided, I, I kind of relate to that, that kind of lens on the addiction path because when I started drinking, before I started drinking, I knew that alcohol was not something you drank in response to your problems. And it was not a, an appropriate coping mechanism. I knew that it was the the path to destruction. But And so every time I was having like a hard day or feeling stressed, I would not use any sort of coping mechanism. Um, I would only sort of like party with my friends on the weekends or something like that, you know? What's that like? <laughs> and so... Uh, one day I decided, like, I wonder what it's like. I'm having a shit day and I wonder what it's like to drink instead of not drink. And then I never stopped drinking. You know, I never stopped drinking. So I guess in, in some ways I feel like I almost chose to do that. And so I kind of relate to what Alex was saying about about choosing that path of heroin addiction and and he said, I'm a white male. I had no oppression in my life. I was oppressionless and becoming a heroin addict created oppression in his life, something for him to become the hero in his own story against. Uh, I'm, paraphr I'm paraphrasing there. Those are my words, to become the hero in your own life. And I remember so many times throughout my addiction recovery process, feeling like I was this the hero of my story, that addiction was the antagonist, and I was on this hero's journey to to overcome and and find this like epic life in the aftermath uh, after I overcame addiction. And I do remember a lot of times thinking I was glad to have this peace in my life, to have addiction in my life because it gave me like texture. Um, it gave me something to define myself with. Otherwise, what was I? And so I've been thinking about that for a while. And this, and this need to have something in my life to, to continuously rally against. And here I am, four years sober, going over poems that I wrote years ago talking about what was going on in my life at that time and in a lot of ways it has no real um, context to to where I am in my life now um, but it's really interesting to look back and and see how far I've gone how far I've come so I appreciate you being on this retrospective journey with me and I really appreciate uh, seeing you folks listening every week. It's a real, um, it feels, it feels really nice. So <laughs> thank you for being here. I hope um, that you're definitely getting something out of this as much as I am. And without further ado, this is the poem Us. 
I speak in lyrics and heartbreak, and you think in black and white. You can't understand me, but I think there's poetry in that. That's the poem there. And I wrote this one because I was really struggling sort of in my relationship with uh, communication. And my partner's uh, very black and white sort of emotionless, uh, at least he used to be, at least that's how he used to interact with me. Um, anytime I would bring some sort of problem, my, the response would be like, oh, that's too bad. That would sort of be the end of the conversation. And I, and I'm a very emotional person and I feel very deeply and I am a poet and I, I'm navigating so many different waters in so many different ways. And I love to talk about it. Look at me. I'm sitting here in my living room talking to you about it. I love to express myself. I love to explore the poetry of pain and Whew. it was really difficult to not be able to express the poetry of pain to my partner. And so I had to sort of examine that, like, what is, what is going on here? Um, I felt misunderstood a lot because every time I would try to express myself, I was almost hitting, hitting a brick wall. And I, it would just create this sort of echo chamber in myself thinking, are we compatible? Are we, um, are we ever going to get up, get to a place where I can just freely talk about what's going on with me? Um, and I'm very glad that I persevered and, and, you know, held space for him to develop in his own time. This is something I've learned from being in a relationship for, uh, it'll be nine years in September, is that it's very important to not force your expectations on other people. And there's, it's very true that many people are non-compatible and relationships can be toxic and unhealthy, uh, but all of that aside, there's a lot of societal conditioning that I had to strip off of myself, like the idea of getting married and that I couldn't possibly be happy in a relationship if we didn't get married or at least know that marriage was on the table. And guess what? I'm turning 30 this year and that was sort of the benchmark six years ago or something that I was like, I need to know that at least like by the time that I'm 30, like we'll get married. And I'm almost 30 now and I don't give a shit about getting married. <laughs> and it gave me the time and space to breathe and really examine why did I want to get married? Why did I want this so badly? And when you're in a state of addiction, you're very much in your ego. There is a lot of like reaction and and there isn't a lot of space to sort of think and process because um at least for me, when I'm shutting myself down with alcohol every single night uh, and, and working all day, there's no time to process anything or explore anything. You're either in a state of you're very engaged in other activities with your mind and your, your body, 
And then your brain is shut off and it's not processing anything anymore. So how was I supposed to know what I wanted? All I knew is what society wanted for me, which was to get married, to have children. I was freaked out that my partner didn't uh, agree with the institution of marriage and I couldn't understand what the fuck that meant. I was like, what do you mean? You, you don't. And I was, I was like, I couldn't understand because I was like, well, he comes from a family where his parents are still together. They never divorced. They're, so that's not the reason. And the more I, I, I stepped away from alcohol and let my consciousness kind of fill my brain once again. And it wasn't just uh, shoved into a small corner of my mind and I could actually process and think about things, I could see how it doesn't matter at all and how patriarchal it is. And it's it's literally the weirdest thing, the whole thing of it. Um, I definitely didn't start out this this podcast today thinking I was going to talk about my feelings on marriage, but here I am. So um, I wanted a ring so badly. And now I see it as like so weird. Like this man is going to put away three months salary to buy me a piece of jewelry. How fucking capitalistic is that? What the fuck is that? <laughs> and like, my friends are meant to scrutinize it. I remember having a friend over and like having my other friends whisper and judge her new ring in her newly her new engagement because it was from Peoples. Like what? <laughs> Who cares where it's from, you elitist privileged people? My god. <sighs> okay, enough of that. <laughs> um I had so much more space to analyze and realize. And I was so afraid. I was so afraid that he was going to leave me. I was a, and I was so afraid of being left. It would keep me up at night. And there was no reason for me to think this. Um, I mean, it sort of does come from the lack of emotional communication. I felt so sometimes a little insecure. Um, but it began, it began to dawn on me that the most amazing way to love someone is to love them freely and without expectation to allow them to be fully themselves and to give them the space to be that, to give them the permission to be that instead of trying to morph them into this like perfect. And when I say perfect, I mean like society's idea of a perfect man or a perfect person, whomever it is that you love or hope to love or have loved. 
I wanted to be married to him so he couldn't leave. That was the deepest part of the whole thing. I wanted to be legally bound to him so he couldn't leave because I was so scared that he would. And that's not a reason to get married. That's manipulative. And the most beautiful way to love someone is to allow them the freedom to be able to leave if they want to. No coercion, no manipulation, just space to be exactly who you are because when you give that person space to be exactly who they are, you get to have the space to be exactly who you are. And the most beautiful thing begins to happen. You both begin to live fully as yourselves and you begin to feel safe to open up in ways that you never have before. Knowing that there are no strings attached, there are no caveats, there's no judgment. The best way to love is to allow that person and yourself to re-choose each other every day. Not just one day with a piece of paper and a thousand dollar stupid man-made ring. Choosing each other every single day. And knowing that at any time, you're free to leave. This is something I never want to leave. And I believe he feels the same way. I really love our life and I love that I feel so comfortable and that he feels so comfortable. And there is so much more openness now. We have such a wonderful relationship where we talk about anything and everything and we are heard and we actually talk about it and it's not just, oh, that's too bad. It's deep and it's rewarding. And even if we fight, we laugh our way through it. It's the most magical thing. I never thought that this really existed, that in mid-fight, you could mock yourself for how silly you're being. Like the other day, I come home from work and suddenly, like, when you know when you, you're kind of got your shit together and you're kind of holding your, your emotional shit together and the moment you walk through your, the door, kind of your defenses fall down and sometimes you can take out any sort of mood that was being held back on the people around you because they're safe. I did that. I walked in and I had this sort of like poisonous attitude and immediately he had this uh, shift in himself and he was starting to get like irritable. And I immediately recognized, I was like, I even said, I was like, oh, so (laughs) what, you're 
you're mad because I walked in here all moody and uh, I completely changed the atmosphere of the entire space and like mocked myself. And he was like, yeah, that's exactly what happened. And I was like, yeah. And then it completely diffused the situation. We were like happy and good and like could move on and didn't have to have this one little spat just completely destroy our evening. Being able to laugh at ourselves. That's what I say here is like, I speak in lyrics and heartbreak and you think in black and white and you can't understand me, but I think there's poetry in that. This coming together of differences, how do we, how do we be different but together? How do we create this beautiful dance together where we cannot be the same? That would be boring. I feel like a partner is the most wonderful teacher of the self. You really learn a lot about yourself in the way that they mirror you back to them, back to you. It's a real blessing. And last week we spoke about how it's this, there's this trap of like othering when you're in addiction recovery and you see all these other people who seem to have no problem using the substance that you use and, or used, and it's just like so painful and hard and um, isolating and lonely to, to watch that. Um, and the sort of whole idea that, you know, there really aren't any others. It's not us versus them. And that's what I find has been, that's what I was conditioned to be in a relationship was this us versus them mentality where when you got together with your girlfriends, you would bitch about like how stupid your partner was and how they couldn't do laundry and their mom never taught them how to do chores and like men, ugh, you know, roll your eyes. Like, what the fuck is that? Why are we beating down the people who support us and love us and we love them? Like, for years, I would just complain about my partner to other people because that was like what you did. That's what society taught me to do until one day I was like, what the fuck am I doing? And I started to say only positive things and that shifted my entire relationship. If I always have this lens of like, he's he's stupid or he's um, impossible or thoughtless or whatever, if I paint him in this light, of course he's gonna be that. Of course that's how I'm going to see him. If I'm putting on the glasses of, you are annoying, he will be annoying. But if I put on the glasses of you are a beautiful, magnificent creature and I'm so lucky to have you in my goddamn life, of course that's how I'm going to see him. My advice is to be careful how you speak about your loved ones to others because the others are listening. They s there are definitely times where people have in the past, when I had been speaking negatively about my partner, people would question why I was with him. And I was like, oh, but it's actually so good. And I realized I never shared the good. I only shared the bad. And there wasn't really that much bad. I was just blowing it out of proportion to have some sort of 
bonding moment with other people. If you love the people in your life, why are you throwing them under the bus with the other people around? They're beautiful. I love them. And I want everybody else to know how much I love them. And I think even that sort of energy, I'm not sure how much I believe in like, um, just like energetically impacting the world anymore, but there's this concept that we create our own reality, right? And that's like a, that's not really true. It's not just our reality that we are creating. It's the reality of everyone that we come in contact with based on what we say, how we say it, who we say it about, how we interact with people, how, how we hold space for them, the actions that we do. We are impacting everyone around us and we are in co-creation with them for how this plays out. We are constantly in co-creation with other people in our lives and how our lives work. So what recovery gave to me, what sobriety gave to me, it gave me like agency back on how I was an act, I'm an active participant in my life. And I can create the life I want by how I treat other people. It's not just this like magical manifestation thing where I wish for a car, you know, it's okay. I want a more interconnected, beautiful, calm, um, loving, embracing relationship, how can I act to create that? How can I speak to create that? How can I think to create that? And when I have that shift, the world shifts around me. The world reacts to my ripples. And when people feel like they are seen and they are heard and they are given this space to just be themselves. They feel it. And they will start acting in ways that mirror back what you're doing. And it just creates this beautiful, beautiful living piece of poetry together. My friends, thank you so much for tuning in today. I wonder how in your life are you co-creating with the, the people around you? How are they affecting you and how are you affecting them? I hope you'll join me for club study this Sunday. You can sign up at cityandsoul.ca slash workshops. And there is a small sliding scale fee, Canadian dollars, five, 10, 15, or $20. It'll be an open sharing circle for anybody who is um, struggling with an addictive substance, is questioning their relationship to food, is um, 
you know, sober curious, is 15 years sober, uh, anybody, anybody who, if you believe you are on the path, like if you're on this, this journey, no matter where you are on the journey of addiction or addiction recovery, or even if you are not quite sure if you are on the path, but you're thinking you might be, come on down, come join us. It would be so great to be in community and we can co-create some poetry together. Huh? Let's do it. Okay, hope to see you there June 6th, 1 p.m. Mountain Time. I'll close off here with the poem, Us. I speak in lyrics and heartbreak and you think in black and white. You can't understand me, but I think there's poetry in that. <laughs>